Hello, listeners. You are listening to the Hypnothesis Podcast. This is your host, Elliot Weissbluth. California's on fire. Oregon is really on fire. And this podcast is on fire. <laughs> because on this episode, I talk to Matt Yurke. Matt is an artificial intelligence and natural language processing whiz. He's starting his PhD at Stanford soon. We got onto topics like GPT-3, OpenAI's newest language model, um, the intersection of AI and art. We talked about kendama, um, an important topic. It's a Japanese skill toy, as you will figure out. Oh, oh yeah. So there's a there's a big spider on my wall right now, and it's just crawled behind one of my uh, posters. And now I'm gonna have to contend with that for the rest of the day. It's just the morning, so I will be sitting here at this desk all day um and that's that's just something that you have to deal with sometimes ned stark once said the only time a man can be brave is when he's afraid and today i might have to be brave anyway on this podcast we got deep into the weeds of artificial intelligence speaking of the future of it the current state of it the singularity the ethics of it i hope you enjoy Welcome to the podcast. Really, time is only experienced by the events which occur within it. And in denying their humanity, we betray our own. No, I won't yield. One of the aspects of God came to the earth, mind you. And look at what's out there. Cheers. Cheers. Round two. Yeah, round two. With better audio this time. Yeah. Mm. Yes, to the listeners at home. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, to the listeners at home, this is Matt and I's second attempt at a podcast. The first one was a beautiful conversation, but unfortunately, we were sharing a single microphone, which I did not adequately prepare, and the audio was poor. Although, we do have the episode ready. You can understand us. Sounds yeah. like we're underwater. It does sound like we're underwater. I yeah. think I described it as talking through snorkels in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah. But if you're interested in listening to it, you know, hit me up. Let me know. I'll, I'd be happy to release it. So, I wanted to start the conversation out on an important topic. So, let me ask you, what is kendama and why is it important uh kendama is this wooden i think it is technically a japanese skill toy Mm -hmm. um that gabe uh, my good friend and housemate has had since high school and has infected our house with right um yeah it is a very addicting toy i don't think i can say why it is important yeah um I've been thinking about that a lot yeah. recently, and I don't think I can say either. There's there's <laughs> a chance that it's not important. Yeah. This small, small game um, doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's definitely been good at wasting my time. Yeah. yeah. But would you really consider it a time waste? No, that's fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Right. All right, Matt. So we we got together today to talk about a specific theme of topics Mm -hmm. 
and that is regarding artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Now, your your professional life is centered around artificial intelligence, loosely, right? Spe- loosely, yeah. Specifically, human-centered design yeah. of artificially intelligent systems, or is that just something you use to create human-centered designs? I mean, uh, I think it's all related. I mm-hmm. technically am starting a program in human-computer interaction. Okay. But I have a pretty strong focus on artificial intelligence because right. that's the new, I guess, paradigm of computer science. It seems like in the last 10 years, that's what's really been pushing the mm-hmm. ball forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, and how, how can you use artificial intelligence and human-computer interaction? Where, where do they come into play together? I mean, there's many different things you can do. One is... Um, analyzing artificial intelligence and the the ways in which it's impacting society Mm -hmm. and human human to human interaction right there's a lot of things going on in politics and like with the whole facebook election interference thing and bias that i think touch pretty closely on human computer interaction because there's a there's a Mm -hmm. sociological component and a psychological component to that totally Uh, it's not just technical um mm-hmm. but then there's also other stuff i mean artificial intelligence has enabled uh machines to have human-like perception in many ways yeah in terms of like audio understanding image understanding natural language processing which allows humans to interact with computers in uh along human interpretable dimensions right um which is pretty fascinating oh absolutely um and the thing that i think is fascinating about artificial intelligence to a lot of people is the intelligence aspect when you see the output of a particularly savvy algorithm something for example deepart.io mm-hmm. the image combiner where you can mm-hmm. take the style of one image and draw another one in it you look at that and you see something that's distinctly human although it was created by an algorithm it's it's fascinating that something can be procedurally generated in the same way that we create our art and interpret our world. So your your work mostly has been surrounding natural language processing. Yeah. Right? Do you think you could give a quick overview of what natural language processing is to somebody who might not know? Yeah. Um well the name itself is a is a weird one. Um natural language means human language the language that we like that you would think of when someone would just say language processing but Mm -hmm. uh, it's to distinguish from programming languages right um so it just basically is like the computational analysis of human language and nowadays it's mostly uh written text analysis right um there are speech recognition is another part of it but that Mm -hmm. um that's a different field, I would say. Yeah. Um, so it's mostly if how you extract information of various sorts from text. So there is a distinction, obviously, between the way that people write and the way that people speak. Mm-hmm. Um, is this is this a topic of interest in natural language processing? Um, to to analyze uh, spoken words and conversations and dialogues. Uh, opposed to something that someone might write because I have a feeling that analyzing spoken dialogues could be more useful for 
uncovering like a human neural mechanism or the way that we use language without you know putting it through our um, filters of writing most definitely there's a lot of things that are happening when you're speaking that get lost when you transcribe it to text mm -hmm. um, but I mean if someone were to say like want to analyze movies or something like that they would get the subtitles or something like that right and then just analyze the text and there is information that's lost like you have intonation you have like the way your voice flows and the way you have breaks in your language is uh, important for human to human conversation but that's um hasn't really been incorporated i would say in most okay. neural network models right um i'm sure that has something to do with the availability of data right yeah and also the demands of mm. industry okay yeah that was the other thing i was gonna ask like what is a lot of this natural language processing research focused on like what are its overarching goals mm -hmm. i mean back in the day it used to be I would say very closely tied to linguistics. Mm. I don't know if I don't really know if I could articulate the difference between computational linguistics and natural language processing. Yeah. But there was a lot of things like part of speech tagging or syntax mm. tree like generation, um, things of that sort that were interesting to linguists. Um, right. And back then it was a pretty hard problem, and nowadays a lot of those problems are essentially solved. Yeah. Um, so they've moved on to bigger things like language understanding, like named entity recognition, which mm -hmm. is also surprisingly accurate nowadays, or just general language models is right. the new paradigm that you just train a model to learn the English language by predicting the next word in a sentence. Mm -hmm. And that model, in doing that, if it's large enough and it's the right kind of neural network, somehow it learns a whole lot of other things mm. on the side. Like... Uh things that we would constitute as information mm -hmm. um a lot of the times those models i mean depending on the model but essentially that model learns to do syntax and part of speech tagging and all of the lower level mechanics um through the stacks of the network and it just in learning how to predict english language it learns all of the rules essentially and generates mm -hmm meaningful representation about what words mean in different contexts and that are useful for all kinds of tasks that you can train it to right well that's it, it's truly fascinating yeah um it's a bit of a mystery too how it works <laughs> right um I, I remember seeing this interesting demonstration about the inner layers of a neural network that's used to combine images right like mm -hmm. that's the deep art thing yeah um if, if any of the listeners don't know what that is, check it out, deepart.io. It'll blow your mind. You can spend hours playing with it. Yeah, it's something you really got to look at. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Imagine, I guess the classic example is Van Gogh, like taking the style of Starry Night and applying it to any photo you've ever taken, any Snapchat of your butt or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy. Um, but I, I saw this thing that was, that kind of, uncovered what was happening in the intermediate layers of the neural network between like uh the original images and the final product and when you're looking at that it's you can see kind of what's going on because it's it's a image yeah right and we can we can just look at that and see what's happening but that's not really the case for language it's because we can't 
look at language and understand the patterns of it intrinsically no you can't but there are ways of probing it okay. so there are there have been papers that so bert is a very popular language model and um, what does bert stand for bidirectional encoding of something oh. like uh or i don't know <laughs> <laughs> good, before good, bert good. there was elmo so that explains it oh really yeah Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and so, I don't know. Someone, I think there was a Grover too, but that one didn't really catch on. But I don't know. Somehow, <laughs> Sesame Street names have caught on as, right. as uh, NLP deep yeah. learning models. But yeah. so, Bert has uh, 12 layers, I think. Mm -hmm. And basically, what they did is they uh, took the representation at each layer yeah. and tried to figure out how well that representation could um could perform on a number of different tasks from low level part of speech tacking to like high level semantic tasks mm, okay um and what they found was that essentially the lower levels were better at lower level tasks and the higher levels did better at higher level tasks mm. and there are also there's also been papers that looked at uh whether syntax trees are implicitly encoded in the vector space yeah of certain um of certain layers and they found that like with a i think it was just one linear transformation you were able to recover a lot of actual like geometrically recover syntax trees within really the uh representation of certain language models one of the things that captured me about natural language processing in the first place um was this vector representation of mm -hmm. words. Do you think you could talk about that a little bit and how how uh, researchers and people who create applications use the vector space of words? Yeah, well, I mean, vectors are crucial for all of machine learning. Mm -hmm. um, images in deep learning terminology, it's called an embedding, but yeah. an embedding is just a vector. Okay. So, um, is You can think about it as a point in space. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine like a 3D grid or a 2D grid, right. each vector is just some point on that grid. Mm -hmm. And that the position of the vector uh, has meaning yeah. relative to the position of other vectors. So images that are more similar, so like images of dogs, should mm -hmm. be closer to each other in image space than images of cats. Right. So they might have like two different clusters. And the same holds for words. Mm -hmm. um, that words that are more similar to each other in meaning are closer to each other and words um, that are more distant to each other have meaning and also that the the direction of the different axes also has meaning yeah so you can do analogies so for example like king to queen mm -hmm. uh, would have the same relative positioning as man to woman right so, which is also kind of nuts that that all works out yeah um and so, something i'm curious about maybe you don't know the answer is how did how did they go about or how did whoever produced that vector space go about doing it like it's obviously an incredible task mm -hmm. to find all those positional relationships and define the dimensions of the vectors is it something that's procedurally generated yeah i mean essentially for Bert, it's like uh, you take a sentence or a couple sentences and you mask out 15% of the words and you try to have the network predict what came in the middle. Mm. For GPT, 
one, two, three, it's, it's, uh, you condition on the left. So like you have a sentence and then you like take out the last word or like you predict the, you give it three words. It has to predict the fourth word. You give it four, four words, right. it has to predict the fifth word. So always predicting the next word. Yeah. And that's and how it learns it. If it gets it wrong, you say bad algorithm yeah. and tell it what's right. And you and tell it, it what's it right. Adjust, adjust its nodes yeah. and weights accordingly. Exactly. And it learns to generate meaningful representations on the side. Right. Um, before that, there was something called Wirtovec or Glove, and those were simpler models mm -hmm. that essentially just tried to maximize the similarity of all words. Like, you you take a word that occurs in a sentence, and you also take the like left two and right two words, mm, and you maximize okay. the similarity between the embedding, the target embedding, and all the tar the words that occur in its context, mm -hmm. and that works too. So there's there's plenty of ways to skin a cat. The the key thing is that words that occur frequently frequently together mm -hmm. have similar meanings. And that is that is that like a law of linguistics? Um, there's I forget who said it, but there I was a linguist who said you know a word by the company it keeps. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it's a law of linguistics. I'm not a linguist. I don't know if I'm really too qualified to answer that, but. It certainly seems to be the case. Right. It's certainly good enough to create a convincing language generation model. Yeah. Well, so we've got um, Bert. Mm -hmm. We've got Elmo. Mm -hmm. We tried to have Grover. <laughs> yeah. What happened with GPT-3? GPT-3 is essentially the technologically and like in terms of like the mechanics under the hood it is very similar to bert right the main difference is scale mm -hmm. yeah. gpt3 is orders of magnitude like two or three orders of magnitude larger than bert right and just, just real quick um let's provide a little context about gpt3 because yeah. this definitely sounds like a weird acronym mm -hmm. that probably a lot of people don't know about mm -hmm. so what what is it where did it come from yeah it's a language model it's an ongoing project that was gpt1 2 and 3 uh 3 was released relatively recently and they've all been developed by OpenAI. yeah which is a uh formerly non-profit now kind of for-profit uh, shady. Shady, uh huh? company based in san francisco it was founded by i think uh i don't know if elon musk was a founder or investor or what but um elon musk sam altman who's from y combinator mm -hmm. and i think there are other investors too silicon valley right elites um yeah and their goal is to advance the state of the art in machine learning at all costs um to create artificial general intelligence right that's their goal um because they want to be the ones to invent it first because they don't want it to be in bad hands okay that is the that's the rationale i'm not saying i i'm taking any sides here right right um we should unpack that mm -hmm. in, a, in a little bit but to get back to the subject of gpt3 why is it capturing the attention mm. of the artificial intelligence world yeah right now so essentially 
uh, OpenAI got, I believe it was a billion dollar grant from Microsoft right. for a whole bunch of hardware to build a supercomputer mm-hmm. and just a bunch of like computing credits. So Microsoft like is hosting this stuff. I yeah, think. they've got computers and they're yeah. like, come use it. Come use it. Let's see what you can do. And mm-hmm. essentially what uh, OpenAI did is they had one paper that I think is a little more interesting than GPT-3. Really? Um, it's called uh, Scaling Laws for Neural Networks, I think. Mm-hmm. And then what they looked at is how neural network performance measured by the loss um, scales with size. Um, So they Mm. trained models of various sizes and tried to figure out how well it did and what parameters matter and what parameters don't. And it was almost like a physics paper because they were fitting a whole bunch of power laws. Right. Um, And they basically figured out how large they had to make a model Mm -hmm. to reach the breaking point. And that's essentially how large they made GPT-3. Does does that imply that whatever GPT-4 is, it, 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 well, it, GPT-3 is like the maximum success of that architecture of implementation? Like, have they saturated the architecture of GPT-3 with as much training data as it can take and still continue improving its usefulness yeah i think they what they did essentially with that paper is show beyond reasonable doubt that if you make it much larger or train it with much more data it wouldn't necessarily the improvements would be marginal Mm -hmm. um right and i think that's how they justified it so in terms of like knowledge for the machine learning community that is important like knowing yeah. how these models scale and knowing totally. that they do scale. And it probably has implications for other kinds of models too, not just transformers, which is the base model for mm-hmm. many of these uh, new language models. Right. Um, but basically they took what BERT was or what all of the other ones that came before it or and after BERT were and just made it huge. And yeah. there's been a trend uh, towards that. NVIDIA had a model and then Google had a model and then Microsoft had a model and then GPT, it's the number of parameters has been growing exponentially mm-hmm. and GPT-3 was just the, the very, very tip of that exponential curve. It's just absolutely, absolutely nuts how huge it is. Right. And it's, it's had amazing results. Yeah. Um, like if it, it, the things it does are amazing. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go through a few examples just yeah. to make it a bit more real to someone who might be wondering what we're talking about. So it can it can read an article, right, mm-hmm. and produce a summary that mm-hmm. sounds like it was written by a human. Mm-hmm. It can take the first two lines of a conversation between a historical or fictional figure and continue the conversation mm-hmm. ad nauseum. Yeah, and stay true to that character. And, yeah, and stay true to the character, yeah. knowing the history uh-huh. and the context of the time period and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It can write poetry in the style of famous poets anybody Mm -hmm. that you want anyone who's at its training data set which is certain to be just about everyone on the internet considering that what didn't what what percentage of its training data was was the entirety of wikipedia i don't know but it had billions and billions and billions of like words right of training data right it was mostly i think random internet pages including all of wikipedia Mm mm-hmm so had a lot of Reddit. A lot of Reddit. Reddit. That's probably where its bias comes in. Um, <laughs> yeah, certainly. Yeah. I actually just read an OpenAI article about summarization. They used Reddit's TLDR yeah. database yeah. to train it. Um, and questionable 
I mean, Reddit's a great amount of text and it's useful, but the bias on Reddit is totally real. Yeah. Um, so, so this, this thing is essentially amazing. Oh, it can, it can write code. It can write code. Um, it can do a lot of things. Um, the most fascinating part about it is that it can do all of these things with minimal examples. Yeah. Um, which is new. That's mm-hmm. not something that was possible in natural language processing before. And that's something that I think you can safely attribute to the scale. Right. That if you make this thing huge, so huge that any conventional person could never fit it on their computer, yes, it'd be run on a supercomputer, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. If you make it huge, it can do things that previously weren't possible or needed a whole lot more data to compress into. Definitely. So GPT-2 would have needed a lot more examples before it was able to do the tasks that we've just described. GPT-2, if you fine-tuned it on a lot of these things, would probably have been able to do everything that GPT-3 could have, but it would need more data, and it maybe wouldn't have been as coherent. Okay. GPT-2 was already very good at writing prose. Yes, yes. Um, And GPT-3 just does it better. Of course. Yeah. Bigger, better, faster, stronger. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that a daft? Is that the daft? Punk yeah, that song? is a daft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It applies. Cool. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced that daft punk isn't an AGI. Does it matter? No, it do- it literally <laughs> doesn't matter. I, that's that's the concert that I said. If they had another tour, I don't care what was happening in my life, what was happening in the world, I would drop everything really and go see them. Yeah, I yeah. mean they have some amazing music. Yeah. Uh, it's it would just be too fun, but I know for a fact that it would immediately turn into like the worldwide version of Burning Man, which is a bunch of like bougie <laughs> motherfuckers, yeah, out there in their private jets, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so anyway, I'm looking for sponsors for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you do, I'm down to cozy Daft Punk. All right, sick. Yeah. Let's uh, let, let's do it. Yeah. Um. So, Open so AI, are you listening? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> All right, OpenAI. Please turn the podcast off yeah. right now. Um, so, OpenAI and Elon Musk, Sam Altman. Yeah. Probably some high-level people at Google, too. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Rich, rich Silicon Valley people. Rich Silicon Valley people. Mm-hmm. They're trying to invent AGI before mm-hmm. anybody else. That, that stands for, I don't know if we've already said it, Artificial General Intelligence. Yes. And what does an artificially generally intelligent uh, system do? Yeah, that's a loaded question. I think it's something that's uh, <laughs> debated. Um, yeah, certainly. The, I mean, intuitively, it makes sense. And then you get down to the specifics and it doesn't make sense. Um, it's as opposed to um, an artificial, I think, narrow, narrow intelligence, something like that. Yeah. Um, so... That's what we have right now, which are AIs that can do well on specific tasks. Right. And general intelligence is something that can do well on most of the tasks that humans can. Mm-hmm. But then you try to define the tasks that humans can do and what human intelligence really means, and it starts to get a little more hairy. Right. Um, but generally something that can do anything that a human could do. Okay. Like mechanically? Do you think? Like, in terms of does it have a robot body? Does it have Uh, a robot body? Yes. I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily required. No. But it would certainly be useful for certain things, like for physical 
tasks. Right. Um, I mean, there's there's deep learning has also revolutionized robotics too, mm-hmm. in terms of like grasping and manipulating stuff. And OpenAI does a lot of that research too. They have a robotics division. Oh, do they? They had a paper where it like learned to solve a Rubik's cube or something like that. What? Yeah, that's so cool. Um, but so there there is that side of it, right? Um, but I don't know if it's necessarily required. Okay. Well, something I've been thinking about a little bit is like we we take for granted that humans are generally intelligent, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think well well maybe not. I don't know if anybody's uh written about this or spoken about it before, but it almost seems like human intelligence is the amalgamation of many aspects of the narrow intelligence that you were just describing yeah and a general intelligence is not fluidity between those intelligences in humans but rather the the combination of all of them together side by side Mm -hmm. siloed yeah i would i mean something that humans can do very easily that neural networks are have a lot of trouble with is um one recognizing where problems are mm. and being able to solve problems right. with uh minimal supervision yeah um you give us a couple examples and we recognize the pattern and then we're able to generalize mm-hmm. um whereas with neural networks you have to give it many 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 more examples and that's yeah. why i think a lot of the agi people are excited about gpt3 because right. you only have to give it a couple examples mm-hmm. um but it also can't do basic arithmetic yeah which is shocking to me <laughs> right. um i don't know what the current state of that is but it didn't seem to be and at least in the paper it struggled after a couple digits yeah of doing like addition and multiplication and division and stuff mm-hmm. so i'm i'm curious like gpt3 is a language model mm-hmm. right so any arithmetic that it would prospectively do would be derived from things that it learned reading the words yeah. like the characters mm-hmm. um so i i guess it, that indicates that it didn't learn the principles of arithmetic and no. maybe it didn't even learn the principles of language although it can replicate them very well i think it's difficult to say that it knows anything right um because that's a whole bag of worms a can of worms um mm-hmm. i the way it learns for example to write code is that i guess a lot of pages on the internet have like code tutorials yeah and it learns translation not by having like here's a text in english that was translated to french but just like certain websites that were in french and like maybe there's an english passage and then there's like a sentence in french or something like that and it just learns mm-hmm. um and it would have to learn math the same way just kind of like on the side right right um and for some reason it doesn't but it's also able to like conjugate made up english words yeah what what, correct, wait, what was that test you mentioned the wug test the wug test That's it's like it, a right? kid you uh, a test you give to little kids it was invented by linguists a long time ago mm-hmm. to just gauge when children acquire certain linguistic rules right so this is one wug these are two yeah. wugs ah uh, so how do you how okay. do you form the plural Mm-hmm. of wug if you've never heard wug before there's and, certain regularities and gpt3 can do that gpt3 can do that with made up words across multiple languages 
as well. I would suppose. Yeah, I've only seen it in English, but right. Yeah, I mean, it, it can do translation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I guess that implies that it probably could. Um, so it's an impressive feat of engineering and work by OpenAI. Mm-hmm. I think it might be interesting to talk about their motivations yeah. for this, though. So. So that you said that they wanted to create this system to be the first ones because they don't trust anybody to have that power or because they're trying to make bank or a little bit of both. Um, I don't know if they were necessarily in it to make bank in the beginning. I think Elon Musk got super worried about AIs, like super intelligent AIs taking mm-hmm. over uh, and then like kind of led the initiative with this, although I'm not exactly sure. That's the way I remember reading about it um, and started this initiative. And then eventually he stepped down because of conflict of interest with Tesla. Oh, okay. Um, and they're, I guess, yeah, they don't trust other people to do it or they want it to be in like a safe and controlled way. Yeah. Um, although it's kind of, yeah. Do you think that if they succeeded in creating AGI that they would implement it in an ethical way in the world? Probably not. I I agree with that. Um, I mean, they're trying, they seem to be trying hard with GPT-3 and bias, but they're getting a whole lot of flack for it. Right. Um, Because I think you have people it's just the 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 goals i think are fundamentally misaligned uh between what between what? getting to agi as quickly as possible mm-hmm. and doing getting to agi responsibly uh yeah um uh, because if you i think if you're really careful about doing things responsibly and not destroying jobs and not creating biased systems mm-hmm. you tread a lot more lightly right. and slowly and carefully and hire different kinds of people Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's certainly not as much effort being put into um, evaluating these systems for safety or for their implications as there is into just developing them. Yeah. It's not as it's not as interesting, but it's certainly as important. I mean, for machine learning researchers that really care about doing well on like benchmark tasks and like having huge models and like mm-hmm. really pushing the the limits. Um, I don't think it's as interesting, no. And I think that bias shows across right. the whole research community, not just open AI. Yeah, definitely. Um, the re- their justification, so back backstory, they released an API mm-hmm. for GPT-3. They're not releasing the model itself or the code for it, right. which is, generally what is done yeah for machine learning yeah. models and for the uninformed listeners what what is an api an api is basically a way for anybody who they give access to to mm. give queries to gpt3 on their servers yeah. and get responses from it yeah so you can build it into your application mm-hmm. so you can use gpt3 in your application by communicating over the internet with it okay cool and you have to pay money of course yeah <laughs> naturally yeah um we were going somewhere with that weren't we yeah we were um whether or not so that was their response to bias 
Okay. And right. uh, I don't know if that's the right response. It's kind of a, it's a, their argument is that if we can control who has access to it and if we can see what everybody's requesting and if we can see what everybody's doing, we have more control over it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, at the same time, they're also making a lot of money off of it. And I also don't know if those incentives are aligned. That's absolutely true. And it's certainly an ethical debate that is going to have to happen over the next few years. It's yeah. a bit disappointing how esoteric it is, really. Yeah. We, we're sitting here in a bubble, kind of, of t- technology here in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, I guess that's always been the case, mm-hmm. is that the, the ethics discussion of these things happens where it's being developed. But it's certainly not a large worldwide pressure because, I mean, your average folk doesn't even know that this exists, I yeah. don't think, right? So it's going to be a, uh, a tough process to practically impose these ethical um, regulations on the development of GPT, or not of, G, of, of AGI. Because once, once it happens, then we will prospectively have reached the singularity. Yeah, and I don't know if i mean the fundamental issue i have with it is the concentration of power okay these things are incredibly powerful you have the power to destroy industries and jobs and Mm -hmm. it's sitting in the hands of a select few who developed it right um and they decide who has access to it and they decide who can use it and what's good and what's bad use Mm -hmm. um Kind of, it's kind of analogous to um, something I read the other day about Mark Zuckerberg's like election plan for yeah. political ads. Um, someone was saying that the main problem with it is not necessarily his policies, even though some people have a lot of criticisms with it. It's that Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. gets to decide so many important things about the U.S. election. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. And it's a similar yeah. thing with GPT-3 that Sam Altman gets to decide what happens with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I would personally like to see something more democratic. Yeah, um, I totally get it. But, yeah, who knows if that's actually what's going to happen. Of course. And, I mean, it seems to have, for, like, a democratic process to intervene in progress and technological development would be not inhumane, but inhuman it seems to go against the human nature to just progress and progress and progress and you you know a great quote about exponential progress meets exponential friction yes yeah Yeah. (laughs) yes um well you have it in certain scientific disciplines you have irb review boards mm -hmm. medicine has very very strict guidelines for what you're allowed to do what you're not allowed to do because it's dangerous. Yeah. You can kill people. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think computer science has, has been seen as a long time as kind of a harmless science. Mm-hmm. And it's beginning not to be. It has total societal implications. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. Um, Something I would like to see. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, we saw what happens when you let a business-driven model influence people's social media feeds in the 20, yeah. 2016 election. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 
scientifically proven that it was the direct cause of Trump's election, or at least one of them. Yeah, I don't know if I would go out and say that it was solely responsible. Of course. He definitely had, I mean, he used some questionable but effective and smart advertising tactics on Facebook that um, probably shouldn't have been allowed. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we've we've been talking about the potential fallout of AGI, mm-hmm. but the potential benefits of it are also very great mm-hmm. um, because it would be able to solve novel scientific questions and engineering problems, right? Mm-hmm. Things that we have been struggling with for years, you know, cure for cancer, um, environmental policies and... Uh, new material structures and ways that we can come together as a species and survive on this earth. Yeah. Um, I guess it could, although that it seems so distant and bizarre to me at the current Mm -hmm. moment having, I mean, it, the argument is that the progress will be exponential. Yeah. And that, before you know it, the singularity will be here. Right. And real quick, what what's the singularity? Singularity is the, the point at which, like, we reach superintelligence. We, yeah. We surpass AGI, and then once AGI figures out how to build more intelligent intelligences, then it's just off mm. from there. Right. Um, and that's also the danger of it, too, because then we have, potentially have a super robot. We have iRobot. Yeah, plotting yeah. against us. Um. I just don't, I don't know if I buy it, man. Right. Like, I don't know if I believe that. I, uh, no, I, I see where you're coming from. It's certainly speculative to say that in the first place. Because um, anybody who has it could use it for whatever they want. Like, what does it mean to build a human mind? Like, that's, that is so, I don't know. I think we have, I just don't think that neural networks alone can do it. But that's my personal opinion. Um, And I don't know how fast the progress will be. It's very hard to predict. Right. Um, And I think there's there's a lot of... We already see that even with the narrow artificial intelligences that we have already, that there's a lot of problems that are popping up all over the place with using Mm -hmm. them. um, Because they just, like... they, They can do things that humans required human effort before at at vast scales. Right. And they're very good at shifting power or like controlling people or changing mm-hmm. behavior and things of that sort. Um, and I think that maybe we should think about those things before we start doing, you know, trying to summon the demon with building AGI. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't really, I don't really know if that's, I'm very skeptical of trying to build AGI. I think that's just all I'm trying to say. I I agree. I mean, yeah. you you invent something like, you know, solar powers. You you invent the solar panel. There's almost no use cases that are detrimental to human beings yeah. with that invention. You can be pretty pretty certain of that. Mm-hmm. With AGI, it's you're really reaching into a black box there. Yeah, and the cost benefit analysis is. It's questionable to me whether it's, you know, 
net mm-hmm. positive or net negative. Yeah. Um, yeah. For solar panels, that's a great example. Like, what are you going to do with the solar yeah. panel? <laughs> you smack someone over the head with it. Yeah, you can, with AGI, like, oh, I can invent, like, new kinds of, like, renewable technologies. Or I can invent super weapons. Like, what are, Yeah. What's the, what are you going to end up doing? Someone's probably going to end up doing both. Indeed. Indeed. Um, it is... It is scary. I mean, it's even scary what you could do with GPT-3 if you had full access to it. Yeah. And you had a ill will. Like misinformation convincingly at an enormous scale. Yeah. You could deep fake people's prose. Yeah. You could deep fake their social media accounts. You could deep fake articles. Mm-hmm. You could flood the internet with as much fake information as there is real information. And people and, can't tell the difference. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. They ran a study... They gave it a headline and generated news articles and really? people could, it was 51% accurate. So wow. they were 1% better at telling human written articles from GPT-3. And GPT-3 articles. Yeah. Were, I mean, that's scary. That's scary. Yeah. That's, that's really scary. So that's why they have the API and I understand that. Mm-hmm. So they can tell when someone's doing it and cut them off. Well, that that's why I'm fascinated with your um area of research mm-hmm. which is uh human centered mm-hmm. human centered ai and yeah. human computer interaction yeah. um because that domain of artificial intelligence is essentially trying to make sure that we don't lose that human aspect of yeah it, right it's solving problems um i mean there's a quote that if you have a hammer everything looks like a nail <laughs> um and that means that if you like working on ai you start thinking about all the different places where you can apply ai right um but really it i think it's more intelligent to think about the problems that people have mm-hmm. that real people have that you figure out by talking to people and figuring out what they need and like empathizing yeah. with their experiences right uh, and figuring out what their needs are Bef- and seeing what you have in your toolkit that can address those needs and maybe ai is one of those things in your toolkit mm-hmm. rather totally. than saying i'm gonna put ai and everything yeah um yeah. and seeing what are the actually beneficial areas in which you can implement ai in, right. in ways that aren't going to hurt people and aren't going to mess things up mm-hmm. so so that area of research is concerned with the applications of artificial intelligence not necessarily the creation of more intelligent artificial intelligence, or does that rope into it as well? I think it could involve advancing the state of the art. Yeah. In certain areas when you know that it's going to have good outcomes. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, one of the things I learned about is uh, people who are deaf are, are can sometimes speak, yeah. but have very difficult... Uh, have a very difficult time communicating because mm-hmm. it's something someone the way someone described it is like only their mothers can understand them okay for example yeah. like it's possible to understand them but they're difficult to understand right um and there is an engineer at google who developed who fine-tuned a, a neural network that was a speech-to-text mm-hmm. network that was able to eventually he spoke to it a lot and transcribed what he wrote eventually learn what he was saying oh um I see so going. you could also develop a new kind of network for example that would be much better than the conventional ones at, at mm-hmm. recognizing this kinds of non-standard speech yeah and that would be 
a human-centered application because it's a problem that a human actually has. Totally. Whereas GPT-3, like, for doing, like, certain tasks with it, like news generation or something like that, or, um, you know, autocomplete, those are things Mm -hmm. that are cool, that are useful, but they're not necessarily problems that humans always have. Right. Um, Yeah. And the use cases for that almost seem more potentially dangerous than than positive. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, everything I've seen from it that I thought, wow, that's really cool. But maybe not uh, identified it as something that's like particularly useful for solving a human problem. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff is useful, like Mm -hmm. code, like generation, like give me a square red centered square in the center of the page and it like click a button and it's done yeah, yeah for rapid totally. proto- prototyping for designers and developers that's something that's cool mm-hmm. um but for other stuff it's you know 50 50 for me is it useful is it not useful or is it just cool right yeah and i'm i'm excited about artificial intelligence the capability of it to to empower people yeah like like you were talking about last time we spoke the first time we did this podcast (laughs) we um we we got onto art a little bit Uh uh-huh um and i i love the the prospect of incorporating artificial intelligence into artistic tools Mm -hmm. so that the general level of expression among human beings can go up because there's a lot of people who can't draw and not like yeah. artistic particularly mm-hmm. and you put you put this tool in their hands and all of a sudden they're making things that are beautiful and they're 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 showing themselves they're demonstrating how they would create beautiful art if they had the skills to do so and it really reveals a lot about a person potentially. yeah and there's a lot of really cool ai art and music that mm. where people are finding Honestly, a lot of artists are finding interesting use cases that machine learning researchers would never have thought of. Really? Um, And I think that's one of the most exciting prospects of like getting AI into the hands of creative people and making it lowering the barrier to entry Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, artists are generally the people that are most in tune with, you know, the human experience and the things that are wrong and like kind of finding the, you know, the hidden threads that most people weren't looking at. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think if you gave more artists AI tools, they would discover a lot of things that we wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, definitely. And that to me is super cool. And you'd get a lot of really cool art on the side. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a I'm a fan of fan of uh, artificially generated art, you know? Yeah. Um I guess there is some debate as to whether it's art at all. It's an interesting one though. Yeah. Is is an artificially generated piece of art really art i would say so um i mean it's similar to like saying is a uh when when the uh camera was invented a mm-hmm. lot of painters were really pissed off right They're like this is an art you know there's mm-hmm. always something subjective about painting a landscape or something if you just there's no objective view if you just have a picture of it you're ruining all all of it it's yeah it's pointless yeah and history figured out who was right on that one. <laughs> totally. Um, and I think as long as a human is involved in the like selection and cura- curation and like it has some sort of 
it has a, another meaning that's tied to the human experience, it'll always be art. Absolutely. And that's an interesting example about photography. So I'm sure when that first came around, the things that uh, photographers thought about were probably similar to the things that painters thought about. But having had that technology as a part of our, our lives and our society for, you know, like a cent, like two centuries, century and a half or whatever, this whole domain of photography has come out of that where now photographers have their own set of tools and yeah. things that they think about when they're creating photographs. And it's arguably just as intricate and planned out as, as that of uh, a painter who mm -hmm. decides to paint something. And an artificially generated piece of art, like maybe right now, that seems like just a, just a cop out. Um, but who knows? In, in fifty years, like the the artificially generated art will be um, thought of in intricate ways, um, yeah. Like photography is today. I think importantly, two people haven't stopped painting, <laughs> um, yeah, because it's fun. Uh, mm -hmm. just like people aren't going to stop playing the guitar because it's fun. Right. It, it like makes people happy. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that people aren't going to make AI art or music. It's just expanding the space of things that are possible. Mm -hmm. Do you think it would be, um, like poorly ethical to produce like an album of music and claim it as your own when it was generated by some art or by some ai i can give some examples um there was one album that i came across where someone had trained a, a neural network uh to that that maps kind of like your style transfer thing for images but for audio okay and it was trained on that it was an electronic musician so a lot of like mm -hmm. techno and electronic music yeah um uh, but it was fed um a recording of like i think it was uh pre pre-hispanic mexican indigenous music whoa okay um and it was kind of the the framing of that was like decol decolonizing ai mm -hmm. um and it was kind of just an experimental piece that i think is okay yeah um yeah. someone also took an ai to make a fake travis scott song <laughs> yeah that i don't think is okay right open ai also released jukebox which is kind of like gpt3 for music it can okay. like add layers to a song it can complete a song it can add lyrics oh. to a song so on and add so lyrics. forth <laughs> and they released a bunch of music in the style of this artist or that artist oh okay yeah it's almost like a copyright thing there. Yeah, it's questionable. Mm -hmm. If I were an artist, would I want a machine learning model replicating my music? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the gray area for me. Totally see where you're coming from. And you could say the same thing about authors as well. Like, yeah. Would you want yeah. Uh, like GPT-3 replicating your work? Yeah. Um, would you have to copyright your style, your prose? Yeah, it's like... Are, it's like sampling. Like, can you sample like <laughs> an author Whoa. and have that be okay? Like, I wonder. I mean, like, I stole this paragraph, bro. Like, is this cool? Like, <laughs> <laughs> dude. I mean, you could literally. I, I imagine a use case of GPT three might be that 
you create a list of events, a graph of relationships among characters, um, a, a an outline of a story. Mm-hmm. You you create a story. Yeah. And then you feed it to the algorithm and you say, write this like like Philip K. Dick would write a science fiction novel. Write yeah, this story. That's certainly possible. And it, it would do it. Yeah. And it would be entertaining, easy to read. Potentially, yeah. Um, you could try it a couple times and see which one's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So It wouldn't work on like book length text. It's just no. not computationally possible yet. But article okay. length, a uh, couple like 10, 20 pages would work. Yeah. Short stories, definitely. And that's due to attention limitations? Yeah, and just like you're getting into you're getting into higher and higher like levels of language. Like you have okay. to uh start accounting for narrative and mm-hmm. like plot arcs and stuff like that. And I don't know if it knows how to do that yet. Definitely. Um I mean could it understand a concept like foreshadowing? Yeah. I, I don't know. And it's definitely not gonna have the same wit and like beauty as as a real human author right um right definitely i don't think uh if you're trying to write a whole novel because there's so many complexities to that and there's so many Mm -hmm. hidden gems you can find i really think that a lot of art um is intricately related to the person who created it Mm -hmm. whether that be painting drawing or or writing um i know like when i'm reading a hunter s thompson novel I I mean it's it's fun it's it's a great read he's a he's a good author but one of the reasons that it's so interesting is because of who he was as a person mm. it's absolutely fascinating wait can you tell me more about this Hunter S Thompson yeah you know about him no is this your Solaris book no oh, no okay. that was uh Lem okay. yeah, check check out Hunter S Thompson sometime he okay. was he was a madman. All right. He wrote uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, you know that book? movie. Oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. And the movie, Johnny Depp. The movie's crazy, man. Isn't it? Yeah. Funny little tidbit about that movie is that prior to Johnny Depp acting as Hunter S. Thompson, um, there's like a particular type of story narrative that Hunter S. Thompson like invented and popularized. And that was like kind of a self-narrative fiction. So... He, when he was writing Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, he was essentially portraying a caricature of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't even that much of an extrapolation from his true character, which is why he's so interesting. But Johnny Depp lived in Hunter S. Thompson's basement for like a month or a couple months or something, learned all his mannerisms and whatnot. And when he went on to do that movie, he basically impersonated the way he speaks like the way he moves wow. um which is why like I, I watched fear and loathing the movie with my dad and my dad hated it he thought it was the worst <laughs> movie he'd ever seen but i thought it was great because i know who hunter s thompson is i've watched his interviews mm. he's this dude who used to just do an absurd amount of drugs and stay up all night writing these things um who you can go on YouTube and watch him having a uh, shootout with his neighbor, who he just hates. He's like, man, fuck this guy. Pulls out his pistol, starts <laughs> blasting at him. He's a madman. Very interesting yeah. to, uh, to investigate. Um, but reading Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, if that was like procedurally generated, it, it wouldn't be the same thing. No, it wouldn't. Yeah, it wouldn't have the same meaning. No. 
Um, but you know what? If we do reach AGI, um, I'm sure that the general intelligences are going to get bored. They're going to want to read something and they're going to look at computer generated novels and feel the same way that we feel when we read human written novels. Yeah, right? maybe they'll start having their own like genre of fiction that we don't understand at all. Right. Yeah. Dude, can you imagine that? Like being able to peek into that and you're like, what do these things like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that people have been making with GPT-3 has, is genuinely funny. Like yeah. what someone did was that it was there was like an essay like philosophers on GPT-3 and a bunch of philosophers wrote their opinions on like what it means. Right. And then someone prompted GPT-3 with what they wrote and had it write different responses. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's and amazing. Some of it's pretty funny. Yeah I, yeah. I bet so. Yeah. Man. And like does like a philosophical like rebuttal against all of these that, philosophers. That is so ridiculous actually. Yeah. I wonder if it could grasp humor. Yeah, I think it does, because a lot yeah. of the stuff it does is pretty funny. Uh, don't doubt it. Yeah. I mean, the uh, I remember seeing some conversation between, like, it was like George Washington and, like, Elon Musk or something. <laughs> Just went off the rails. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really funny to look in there and see, mm-hmm. see the kind of things that it, that it produces. Um. Well, Matt, it's been it's been about an hour. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much for coming on again. Yeah, thank you for having me. I always love to do this. Absolutely. Yeah, your insight is invaluable. Oh, thanks. And um, we should probably start constructing the bunker under the house <laughs> right? for when the robots, yeah, the lords yeah, come. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, my uh, my uncle's a contractor. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Digging the hole. Help us yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're gonna need shovels robot shovels no <laughs> analog shovels analog shovels yeah. yeah no no uh bulldozers Mm-mm. no bulldozers yeah cool. cool um yeah please don't invade our uh bunker um have a great day hope you learned something peace out peace peace